Tonight I want to do part two of last night. How many were here last night? Last night we looked at a specific aspect of our theological system of truth, talking about the immortality of the soul, and as strange as it sounds, what that opens up for us in understanding the gospel and specifically the character of God and how generous he has been to us. How many were, how many saw that small element of our system, the immortality of the soul, in a new light last night? Really is important. Tonight I want to look at what many consider to be the centerpiece of our denominational theology. Now I don't believe that. But it's what many people believe is the centerpiece. And it's not the law. It's what many believe to be the center of the law. And for us as a church, many of us, though I don't think any of us would officially say this. It's interesting to me when someone is talking to me and considering leaving the Adventist church. And that really concerns me. But it's becoming more and more prevalent. They say, well, there's this other church down the road that they worship on the Sabbath too. Because there are those popping up now. It's always interesting to me that as long as they hold on to the Sabbath, they think it's okay. And as much as I too am frustrated and honestly sometimes just heartbroken by what I see in our members. And I don't mean the ones who struggle to get victory. I mean those that have achieved victory for the last 50 years and think everyone else should have too. Do you know what I mean? Those are the stories that break my heart. I As much as that breaks my heart to see that, I sympathize with you and your frustration sometimes over where we are at as a people culturally. But there's so much more to us than just the Sabbath. Amen. Amen. But nonetheless, Sabbath is to many at the heart of what we believe. It's what many consider to be the most important. And that also makes me scratch my head because I, don't, I think... If you really understand what the Sabbath is about, how, how can we be where we are culturally if we respect and honor the Sabbath so highly? I really have come to the conclusion that although we are, are all agreed that the seventh day of the week is the Sabbath, we all agree on the whole Saturday issue that to a large degree, most of us have never really caught hold of what the Sabbath is really whispering to us. In Hebrews chapter 4, Paul is speaking, if you believe this was Paul, and I know the debate's out there. Paul was speaking to his Jewish brethren who had converted to Christianity. He says, therefore, since a promise of entering his what? rest still stands let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it now what's the opposite of rest 
works. What issue do we have the, the greatest struggle with among us as a people theologically? Whether we want to admit it or not, we in our own personal experience are still trying to find the balance between this law thing and the gospel. Am I right or am I making it up? I have been received multiple comments even this week from my talks. And the majority of those comments are always, well, Herb, what about... What's the politically correct term? Obedience. What about obedience? Isn't it important? Whenever the gospel is preached, we begin to become afraid. And I understand that because to a large degree under the imposed model, the motives that have kept us obedient has been fear of hell or hope of heaven. And when we start delving into the intrinsic aspects of a relationship, some of those previous motives all of a sudden get torn away, do they not? And there's the fear that if that which motivates our obedience disappears, then the obedience might disappear too. But Paul also talked about a ministry of death, did he not? Did he not? How many of you are familiar with that passage in Corinthians? A ministry of death that he said was engraven upon... Do you know this? Do you know Paul's statement? You're acting like I'm reading an Ellen White quote. <laughs> engraven upon tables of stone, of which his glory was passing away, being replaced by an exceeding greater glory. Jared, I love you. Hello, this is Jared's phone. They didn't want to talk, Jared. Must have been important, though. They'll call back. Nah, that's all right. That's just a friendly reminder to all of us, right? I have a presentation that I give, this is a total tangent, but I have a presentation that I give that I, I, if I was a swearing person, I would swear to you there is one point of that sermon that there is always an interruption in. A baby cries. I have given that presentation umpteen times, and every time I give it at the exact same spot of that sermon, a baby cries, a cell phone goes off, somebody freaks out, something happens. At that point in time, and the last time I gave it, there was a cell phone ringing. And, you know, we're supposed to be, preachers are supposed to be Christians, right? <laughs> and so I was about to, you know, there's you know, cell phones going off. You know, that feeling was you know, surf surging inside of my heart. And then I realized it was my own cell phone in my suit pocket <laughs> that was ringing. At that exact same point of the sermon. So it was my fault that time. We all do it. We love you, Jared. There is something of greater value than that which has motivated our previous, our, our religious experience up to this point. 
Therefore, since a promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the what? The gospel preached to us just as they did. Now, those of you who are familiar with Hebrews 4, who is the they here? Who is he talking about? Talk to me tonight. This is the Israelites. And, and this is actually a pretty huge statement that they have the gospel preached to them. Is that true? Yes, because God has only ever saved human beings one way. By grace, through faith. The gospel was preached to them just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with what? With faith. Did they believe it in the Old Testament? To a large degree, were there individuals? Yes, but to a large degree, did they embrace it? No, so much so that when the Messiah came... The embodiment of the gospel. What did they do with it? Not just rejected it. Rejecting it's easy. Trust me. They killed him. It says, now we who believed enter that what? Rest. Just as God has said, they shall never enter into my rest. Yet his work has been finished since when? For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God, what? Rested Rested from all of his work. Now, this is hard for us as Adventists. These are hard words. Anytime you talk about something being finished, that's difficult for us. Why? Someone tell me. Works. It messes with the whole necessity for works, does it not? It's interesting. What is Paul calling them into? Greater works or what was the word he used here? Oh, you, I don't think we need to figure out the law thing anymore. We've got that down pat. What we struggle with as a people is truly learning to just rest in the much more abounding grace of our God. We know how to work. We've not learned how to rest. And I made a statement last night. And if you go back to that statement, if you go back to your Ellen White books and look at the points that you've underlined, what do we always underline in those books? The stuff that motivates us to work, to do. And if you go back and reread those passages and look at the sections you chose not to underline... It is interesting that what she's really calling us to is to learn how to rest, to abide in the heavenly love of our Father. Paul says it was finished from when? I mean, people get upset at me because I talk about salvation being finished from the cross. They say, well, Herb, what about 1844? And as much as I see the biblical evidence for 1844, whatever it is that's been happening up there since 1844 was never to jeopardize your assurance in the finished work of Jesus at the cross. Do you believe that tonight? We have to somehow understand whatever it is going on up there in the light of a finished work at Calvary. But Paul here goes one step further than even I have. 
He doesn't say it's been finished since Calvary. You realize Calvary had already happened. And he doesn't say it was finished then. He said it was finished from when? The creation of the world. That's even worse. Or better. Let's go back. Genesis 1. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. There was evening and there was a morning, a sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were, what is that word? What were they? Finished. And all the host of them. How many of them? All of us. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done. What did he do? He finished his work. And then he, because he had finished, he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. We talk so much about the fact that the reason we rest on the seventh day is because of, yeah, because of creation. What did God do there on that seventh day? We say we rest because God rested. But do we understand why he rested? This is the postmodern question. Why? Why did God rest? Because he was finished. And that seems to be the part where we have a disconnect. We're keen on resting on the same day he's resting, but we don't rest for the same reasons. Are you hearing me? We've turned the Sabbath rest into the greatest work that we do to earn salvation. We don't rest because we're finished. We rest because it's part of an ongoing work that we're engaged in. So we, all, we rest on the right, this right, not right. We rest on the same day that God did. Are you hearing me? But we are resting for wholly different reasons than what God did. And I'm asking for the true Sabbath keepers to somehow surface in our church. It's not about work. It's about what? Rest, And you can only rest if you truly believe in your heart that everything is finished. God creates Adam. And then he, he forms him out of the dust of the ground. And then he breathes into him the breath of life. Adam becomes a living being. How much of Adam's creation did he take part of? How much of Adam's creation did Adam take part of? Sorry. That's the he. Yeah. Undefined pronoun. None. And this part's really cool. Was God done creating stuff when Adam woke up? Thank God, no. He's going to do one more part of creation. He's going to bring one more thing into existence. It's the crowning work, I think. Amen. I was waiting for it. You guys are asleep tonight. I just threw you one. Influence of a single mother. And what amazes me is even with that, I'm sorry, fellas. How 
how much of her creation did we have part of? God is so specifically particular about this that he even puts Adam back to so that Adam can take absolutely no credit for the creation of woman now either. Creation, every aspect of it, was wholly a finished work with kind of a bright red bow on top and given to Adam and Eve as a pure gift. Did they do anything to create that gift? No. Did they have any involvement in the finishing of that gift? No. The only thing that they, and I hate to even say, you can't even say they were required to do it. The only, the only thing Adam and Eve did was said, thank you. Thank you. I think there's a lesson in that, Amen. Because the work of redemption is a work of creation too, is it not? And we're going to look at that. It's interesting to me that God created this gift, gave it to Adam, and then he rested on the seventh day. And we find the same parallel in the New Testament where God once again on a Friday evening is saying, It is finished. And then he rests once again from something he did on the seventh day. And if the first time he did it, he rested because it was done, no involvement from man, just a pure gift. I would presume to say that could it possibly be that the second act is also purely 100% a gift and all he wants you to do is not help him finish it up, but just say thank you. Do you understand the difference there? Could that be what the Sabbath has been saying to us for over 100 plus years? And we are so slow as a people to learn this lesson. And some of you will come up afterwards tonight even and say, well, Herb, but don't we have a part to play? In any relationship of love, love requires how many for it to exist between two people? Are you hearing me? I understand that. In a relationship with God, yes, it requires intrinsically your cooperation, just like any relationship does. Amen? But when it comes to your salvation, that is much different than a relationship. And this is where I take issue with the last 30 years of Adventism. We went from Sabbath-keeping and vegetarianism being the way we were saved, moving in the right direction, to now all you need is to have a relationship with Jesus to be saved. And I would say, yes, a relationship with Jesus is important, but you're not quite there yet. Because all we've done is redefined or relabeled the work that we do to get saved. Are you hearing me tonight? And you may have gotten your head around it, but young people haven't. 
We tell them you need to have a relationship with God in order to be saved. And so they go about trying to have this relationship with God that never works because their whole motive for having a relationship with them is to get their carcass into the kingdom. And what kind of relationship could ever come about based on something like that? It'll never be fulfilling. I wonder, is salvation really the fruit of a relationship with Jesus? Or is a relationship with Jesus the fruit of the finished gift of salvation? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying relationship isn't important, but we too many times have turned that into a work with the right terminology too. We will take anything and turn it into a works trip. And I can say that because I'm just like you. I'm an Adventist too. But what is wrong with us? We, nobody struggles on this planet like we do in Christianity. Do you realize that? When it comes to the subject of grace. I know we believe it. I know it's part of our belief system. But nobody struggles with it like we do. I mean the other denominations. I know they're on another unhealthy extreme. Are you with me? I mean they're, they're, they, they don't understand intrinsic at all. Are you hearing me tonight? Um, that's a blanket statement. I know if you're not an Adventist I don't want to offend you tonight. I know you're different. Okay. But they don't understand intrinsic at all. I mean, if you look at it, an example is health. Dare I bring that up? It's interesting to me that the more heathen America becomes as you travel across the Great Plains, (laughs) the healthier you get. Because you understand the intrinsic side of life out here. But you go back to my home. And I used to say, we're still, we're the Bible Belt. I used to say, but we're still frying our Twinkies. (laughs) But now we're frying, what was it, Gary, you told me? They found a way to fry (laughs) Coca-Cola. A year ago, it was Snickers bars. I am telling you, in the South, we will fry anything if it'll just sit for a minute. It's true. The greatest concentration of lifestyle-related diseases is in the Bible Belt. And do you know why? Because we're saved by grace. Do you understand the idiot, that word, of thinking like that? (laughs) Yes, the idiocy. It is just, it is purely devoid of understanding that although, yes, God loves you no matter what you do, sin doesn't. And sin will still intrinsically hurt you. And those of you who've been here this week, we've covered this. If you're coming in new for the weekend, I'm sorry. But the one thing they don't struggle with is assurance. Are you hearing me? They've got, they don't understand the intrinsic, but they know they're saved by grace. And so they need to learn the intrinsic, amen? But we need to learn what it means to really rest with an assurance in the finished work of God given to us through the grace that abounds toward us in his heart. 
When it comes to Christian denominations, I'm sorry, we do come in last place on that one theological point. And we don't want to admit it. And some of you are upset. We can't fix it until we're ready to confess it. And some say, well, that's not the way I see Adventism. I think we are gospel-centered. Someone said that today to me. Someone looked at the thing tonight, you know, the, the thing, the prayer thing. They're posted all over campus. And my hour is titled The Revival of the Gospel in Adventism. And I didn't, I just threw it out there. I didn't realize it was going to produce a stink. <laughs> but someone was very offended. We do believe in the gospel. Well, quite honestly, I really don't care how I view Adventism or how you view Adventism. My question is, how does the world view Adventism? And with them, they scratch their head and say, when are they going to get it? We may believe in God's grace, but we are throwing off a distinct message that we struggle with it. Exodus 16, I love this. It came about that on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found how much? Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse my, to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days and on the sixth day, sorry, bread for two days on the sixth day, remain every man in his place and let no man go out of his place on the Sabbath. And our fantastically, wonderfully skilled evangelists will use this verse to prove that the Sabbath existed before the Ten Commandments. End of story, move on, and we miss the point. We think we've maxed out what this is talking about. That is not why this story is here. It is interesting to note that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they had lost almost everything of their religious system of belief, being children of Abraham. They were more Egyptian than Hebrew. Are you hearing me? God is going to take this group of slaves that doesn't even have the ability to self-govern and transform them miraculously into this kingdom that's going to reveal the truth about the character of God to the world. Man, talk about the faith of God in humanity. Or maybe the faith in his own, the power of his own love to do it, but they... That's a tall order. And what's interesting to me is here in Exodus 16 where he starts. The first thing God gives them before he gives them the Ten Commandments or anything else, the first thing he gives them is the Sabbath. Why? There's that question again. Why? Because if they learned to not work on the Sabbath, they would have asked the question, why too? Why does the manna fall twice? Why is there none on this day? Why does it smell like sneakers every other day? But on this day, it's fresh. What's going on here? Well, it's the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? Well, back in creation, God finished something, and now he just calls you to rest in that finished work. And they would have learned this lesson of finished and resting, resting in the finished work of God. And only till they've learned what it means to rest in the finished works of God is it safe to give them the Ten Commandments two chapters later. 
You cannot give someone the law until they've heard the gospel. It is not safe to give a human being the Ten Commandments without first teaching them to rest. Because what will we do with the law every time? We will use it for a purpose for which it was never intended. We will use it as a list of rules that we think God expects us to live by in order to finish our salvation. And so God starts off with lesson number one. What is it? Rest. It's interesting that with the Adventist church, you know what lesson number one was? The Sabbath. And if you go back and look at the early arguments of the Sabbath, they had precious little to do with the Ten Commandments. The whole issue of the law not being nailed to the cross only came out as an apologetic later when we were being attacked on the Sabbath. Our original understanding of the Sabbath was to be governed by a different course. Now, I know we got derailed. Anyone familiar with Adventist history? We began to have a lot of objections within Christianity to the Sabbath. And so in looking for a defense, we looked to the Ten Commandments and we saw, sought to prove our point intellectually and biblically. And you know the era of the debates. How many are familiar with that era in Adventism? Where we were very unchristlike, but we could win an argument in every town? But what that led was to was an unhealthy emphasis on the law combined with the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was to be understood first before we dealt with the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy 4, 2, it was because of this reason. It says, you must add, how much does it say? Nothing to what I command you, and take nothing from it, but keep the commandments of Yahweh your God just as I lay them down for you. Whatever God commanded, it was very important that not one small point even be changed. And the reason is this, especially with the Sabbath. Look at Ezekiel 20, verse 20. Keep my Sabbath. What does it say? Those of you who were here two years ago, what does that mean? Tell me if, it was, if the two years ago wasn't wasted. Thank you. That's right. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? Oh, you've lost it. You've been listening to those others, haven't you? <laughs> Ezra said it was time to eat the fat and drink the sweet because this day was holy. Amen? Do you remember that from Nehemiah? If you don't know that presentation, go online and download it because we don't have time to go through it tonight. Did we get you guys too excited? What's that? Is it really, George? I believe that knowing you. <laughs> Ezekiel 20 verse 20. That was a compliment. Keep my Sabbaths holy. Let them be a sign between me and you. They were supposed to teach us something much deeper than just a day. So that the people may know that I am Yahweh, your God. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's look at the history of the Sabbath. Look at Exodus 20 for a second. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it what? We're to keep it that way. What does keep mean, Sabbatarians? Tell me the argument. Keep mean. Why, why is that significant that it says keep and not make? It's already holy. We're just called to keep it that way, correct? Why is that significant? It says in uh, Exodus 20, it says, The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it what? 
On the seventh day, having finished his task, God rested from all his work and God, what does it say? He blessed that seventh day and he declared it what? Holy, because it was the day that he rested from his work. Ezekiel 20 verse 12 Ezekiel expounds upon this concept for us. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them to show that it was I, the Lord, who made them holy. Why did he make a day holy? It was a sign to show us that he was the one that made. Everybody see the connection between days and people here. He made a day holy to prove he could make us. And did he do it? Do you believe that really? Did he do it? Say, well, Herb, I don't feel too holy. Faith isn't feelings, brothers and sisters. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are, what does it say? His workmanship. You say, well, Herb, someone said to me recently, don't we have to be perfect? Can I just settle that once and for all? Why do you care? It's because you still think that if you don't make it, you're not going to be what? Saved. If God wants you perfect, he is the author and perfecter of your faith, is he not? You are his workmanship. And if he wants to do that, get out of his way and let him do it. You stop worrying about it. If he wants you to be that way, he'll do it. I have a hunch you won't know about it. Because everybody I've met that thinks they are, never mind. For we are his workmanship. Now we'll notice this. Created where? In Christ Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus was the second Adam? That you were represented by him, every single one of us. And you know what's amazing to me? Jesus never sinned even so much as by a thought. He was perfect, was he not? He was holy, was he not? And you, therefore, in Jesus, cannot be more perfect than what you presently are tonight in the eyes of God through his Son. You will never be more holy. He made a day holy. And this is key. He made a day holy to prove that he could make, that he's the one that makes us holy. And did he do it in the person of Jesus Christ? Yes. Every one of you is perfect and holy and blameless before him in love. And trust me, if I am, you are too. Because I probably have you beat on a lot of stuff. I'm one of those that shouldn't be a preacher. Are you hearing me? Thanks, George. We're even. But notice what it says. He chose us in him, in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the... Oh! Does that ring a bell to anything we've read so far tonight? Paul said in Hebrews that the work of salvation was also finished from when? Ooh, not just the making of birds and trees and grass, 
the green kind. Well, (laughs) never mind. Not only was that all finished, but Paul is saying that everything related to the gospel and, and us entering God's rest, all of that was finished from the foundation of the world too. How many remember Paul saying that tonight? And then he says here, he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world, that we would be what? Holy and what? Blameless before him. Now watch his motive and think if you see if you can't picture him tonight in love. Why did he do it? In love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. This is what the Sabbath was to point us to, brothers and sisters. The love of God in taking every one of you and not just creating you, but also at creation, but also making you holy in Jesus the second time at redemption and giving that to you as a gift as well. How many are thankful for that? I still contest that if you hold on to the old way of explaining 1844, When your name comes up, if that's really the way it works, it doesn't matter whether it came up yesterday, tonight, or tomorrow. When your name comes up, you are holy and blameless before Him in the person of His Son because that was finished. And you can take that to the bank. That's where your assurance lies, does it not? And all God calls you to do is rest in it. People say, well, Herb, doesn't a relationship play into that? Yeah. If you realize how kind and how loving he is, don't you want a relationship with someone like that? And it truly becomes the fruit of something much deeper. Now, notice the the contrast. And once again, I want to be very careful here. If you go to church, it doesn't matter what day you go to church on. I mean, we even go to church on Wednesday. If you believe the Sabbath is Sunday, because that's the real issue, there are people out there that genuinely believe the Sabbath is Sunday, and they, some of them are better Christians than I will ever be. Are you hearing me tonight? But notice what that whole system shows. If God made a day holy to prove that he could make us holy, and did he do that in Jesus Christ, given to us as a gift? If he made a day holy to prove he can make us holy, then what happens when man says, God didn't make the first day holy. Are you with me? If the first day is going to be kept holy, man has to first make it holy. And has man claimed to have done that? Yes. Yes. The Christian church has claimed to have made Sunday holy. Well, if God makes a day holy to prove he can make us holy, and we can also make a day holy? That proves that we can also make ourselves holy and we don't need a Savior. Are you hearing me tonight? I have been accused in the past of being a Sabbath keeper and therefore being under the old covenant. Sunday. 
Sunday is the day that systematically subscribes to a philosophy of man being able himself to make things holy. Not Sabbath. Sabbath always points to the finished work of who? God. And all we're to do is rest in it. Sunday is all about man making things holy. I can't do it. I can't make myself holy. I've tried. (laughs) Why would I personally, for me, myself, worship on a day that stands for man's ability himself to make something holy? I can't do it in good conscience conscience in my head. It's a disconnect for me. Are you hearing me? I'm not saying others can't, can't. There are others who do it just fine. But for me, when I look at it from that angle, it doesn't work for me. It's inconsistent with what I believe about the gospel. In John 19.30, it says, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is what? And we don't give this enough credit. It is what? It's finished. And not only did he say it, he proved it. Because when he was finished the first time in creation, what did he do on the seventh day? And on the, the same way, have anyone ever wondered, why on earth did he have to be in the tomb three days? Anyone ever asked that question? There's nothing, to make sure, there's nothing. Because it took, never mind. No, it, there's nothing special about three days. The only reason it's three days is because he chose to, when he was finished, once again, what? Rest on guess which day? The seventh day again. He's not changing the Sabbath here. He's re-infusing it with even greater significance and meaning than creation ever could. And this is so important because we raise young people who are experts on nature. Is that too close to home? I mean, the one thing we know we can do on Sabbath that's holy... It's going a nature walk. I hate hikes. It doesn't work for me. Now I will say this. My 13-year-old daughter has a plan because I have raised her as an Adventist. And you can't raise a kid in this church without the culture rubbing off. And so she loves nature. Loves it. She has a thing called the A-Club. There's a website about it. She, it's about animals, saving endangered animals and abused animals. And she'll go with me on my trips. And I'm thinking about hiring her for the ministry. Because she'll go through the airport and raise 50 bucks in 10 minutes for the A-Club. <laughs> I think, well, that's some talent. But she's got a plan. She loves nature. She wants to be a marine biologist. She wants us to purchase a home in Hawaii (laughs) so she can live there while she goes to school on the beaches of Hawaii and become a marine biologist. That's my daughter's plan. I think she's brilliant. I'm all in favor. Convince my boss and see if we can get a raise. 
He sent her. Yeah, thanks. My daughter knows more about nature and science and biology. It amazes me. We will go to some science museum or something, and, and kids will be asking questions, and some guy will answer it, and this is her dad in her. It is not, it is a character flaw, okay? The person in charge will answer a question, and she will stick her hand up and say, Well, actually... This is the correct answer. And she's right. And then she's not the favorite kid anymore of the instructor. She's still mine. I have three favorite kids. But I stop and I wonder what would have happened if we would have understood from the beginning that Sabbath was more about Calvary than it was creation. Wouldn't it be nice to have a generation of young people who are specialists in the cross? Wouldn't it? And I'm speaking to myself because my daughter's on the other side of that. Different emphasis, isn't it? We see the fruit of our emphasis many times in our kids. We, We know how to couch things in the right language, do we not? But we see the truth in the fruit of our children. I really wish I'd had a different emphasis. Jesus said, it is finished. When did that happen? What day of the week? Friday. When I first became an Adventist, Friday is when it finished for us too. Now, not always gracefully. I mean, I can remember Sabbaths where my mom and I, she was a single mother. She was watching her watch. And this is a true story. There was one Sabbath. This will always stick out in my memory. It was clicking down. You know what I'm talking about? Sabbath was coming, clicking down, clicking down, clicking down. Had to get the house clean for Sabbath because preparation day, clicking down, clicking down, clicking down. And all of a sudden, she's sweeping. She's doing all the last minute. She, she's not going to make it. The dustpan is in the other room, and it's clicking, 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 clicking. And she's, she's, I pick up the corner of the rug. She sweeps it under, throws <laughs> the broom into the closet and then my cousin slams the door shut. Whoo! We made it one more Friday down. Anyone ever been there? But we are supposed to be finishing up our work on Friday. But why? Because 2,000 years ago at that same time Your Savior was crying out for you. It is finished. And you're finishing on Friday evening. His reminder of that. It commemorates that glorious cry. And we rest on the Sabbath as a memorial of how he rested in the tomb during those same hours after finishing your salvation. Do you really believe that tonight? That it's finished. But it's something he wants you just to rest in and appreciate. Romans 4 verse 5, Paul says so clearly to the one who, and we don't get it, but who, what does it say? Does not work. But what? Believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Why do we spend so much effort trying to become godly for God to justify us when it's not the godly he justifies, it's the ungodly. If you're ungodly tonight, you already qualify. 
Just say thank you and rest in it. It's interesting that Paul here is actually quoting in Romans. He's quoting from the Greek Septuagint. Guess where he's quoting from? The Greek translation of the fourth commandment. In it you are to do, what does it say? No work. Isn't that what the Sabbath teaches us? Stop working. It's a reminder of how every day we're to be ceasing from our labors. Amen? Amen. Romans 4, it says, It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them didn't go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, and we don't have time to go into all this, calling it today when a long time after he spoke through David, as it was said before, Today, if you will hear his voice and do not, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a what? A Sabbath rest for the people of God. And you know what I find most interesting? Paul here, I'm sorry. You can, you can argue with me all day long. I just don't see it here. Paul is not talking about Saturday here. In context, he has continually always here been talking about the rest we have in Jesus. The spiritual rest. And he labels it what kind of rest? A Sabbath rest. We have a Sabbath in Jesus every day. Amen? Does that annul the weekly Sabbath? No. The weekly Sabbath is the celebration of the Sabbath we have in Jesus. But he calls what we have in Christ also a Sabbath. I don't know how we could have missed this. We're Sabbatarians. We are clear on the weekly Sabbath. But we have much to learn about what it means to experience a Sabbath in Christ. Do we not? It says in Matthew 25, the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from when? So before the foundation of the world, God created a place for you. Is that true? The kingdom was prepared from when? And Paul said that it was what? Finished. It was finished. Now watch. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Anyone who enters God's rest, why did God rest? Because he was what? Finished. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own what? Work. Just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Is it hard to trust that God will save you and not yourself? Some of you it is. Some of you are German Adventists. You know what that means? <laughs> I'm part German, so I'm talking about myself here. I can do that. But you're not going to let anyone else do it for you. You're going to do it. And you've been let down so many times in life. There is no way you're going to risk letting someone else, depending on someone else to do it for you. You can trust Jesus tonight. Amen. He's able to do it. You don't realize it yet, but you can't do it. You are completely incapable of being able to save yourself. But he is your savior. And he's a strong and mighty savior. 
And I don't care what you're struggling with tonight. What habits, what failures you've continually experienced. You are holy and blameless at this moment before him. In his eyes, you are perfect. It is a finished work. Trust Jesus. Believe. In the heart of God to actually do something for you just out of kindness. I know that's hard for some. But you can believe in him. When you get down to the end of it, and we face him face to face, it will be true that where sin abounds, grace does much. Matter of fact, I'm kind of banking on that. I really hope it's by grace. I really hope. And we can be assured. Ephesians 1 verse 4, just as he chose us when? Okay, so God created the kingdom for you from before the foundation of the world, correct? And, and then he chose you to be a part of that kingdom from before the foundation of the world. Is that correct? And then watch this. The, Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So even if Adam sinned, God did everything from the foundation of the world to ensure that not only was the kingdom prepared, not only were you chosen, but no matter what happened, you could still be a part of that kingdom. That's an incredible gift. Amen. And that's what it means in the, in the Sabbath to just rest. Because notice Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or what? If he doesn't become weary or tired, there is only one other option as to why he rested. When you and I are working on a project... We rest when we get weary and tired, whether we're finished or not. Am I right? But if someone does not grow weary and someone does not grow tired, the only reason they would rest from what they were doing for you would be that they were finished. And that's what the Sabbath is all about. Amen. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for on account of to benefit mankind. If you've experienced Sabbath not as a benefit, but as a curse, and some will be offended that I say that, but I'm just being honest. I want to encourage you to look at the Sabbath a little differently. Let it point you to the Lord of the Sabbath, amen? amen. And to all that he's done for you. Let him teach you what it means to cease from your own labors, as he did from his, and rest in all that he has done for you, amen? Tomorrow night, we're going to be entering into the Sabbath. I'm not going to talk anymore to you about the Sabbath. Tomorrow night, we're going to be talking about a topic that I promised. As long as we are living in the current state of affairs on this planet, I will never give a seminar where this topic is not covered. And this week, I was actually tempted. I said, God, should I cover it this week or not? And two people came up to me today and asked me about an answer to this question, the question we're dealing with tomorrow night. So you'll want to be here. Please make sure you don't miss it. I'm not going to tell you what the question is. You have to come tomorrow night to find out what it is. But it is the single greatest question the postmodern world is asking about God today. 
We'll see you tomorrow night. God bless you.